Welcome to episode 31 of the Hockey News on the Dub podcast, brought to you by BetMGM. I'm Carol Schramm, here with Adam Kurzenblatt, and we have lots to get to today with the draft just over a week away. We'll dig into some of the high-profile defense prospects from the WHL, and we've also got news on the Winnipeg Ice's move to Wenatchee, Washington. Um, also, a Western League-heavy lineup winning the Stanley Cup in Vegas, yet another award for Connor Bedard, and our final NHL team of the week, which is the Washington Capitals. But first up, we would like to welcome one of those defense prospects who's looking forward to hearing his name called next week in Nashville and beginning his NHL journey. Uh, from the Saskatoon Blades, we're very happy to welcome Tanner Mullendyke. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, to start off, I've, I'm a little bit obsessed with the fitness testing at the draft combine. So I was very excited to have you on because you did really well in, uh, in, in quite a few of the categories. So um, what was what was that whole experience like for you? Yeah, it was good. It, was, uh, it wasn't wasn't easy. I'm not going to say it was easy. I mean, that VO2 bike took a took a toll on the old body, but uh, yeah, it was a great experience. I mean, you don't, you don't get to experience that twice in your life. So I think just, uh, I don't know, getting that opportunity is pretty cool. Um, and so uh, the bike test in particular, I was hoping you could walk us through a little bit. So my understanding is that you did the VO2 on Friday and then the Wingate test on Saturday. Is that right? Yeah. And what's the difference between the two? What is that process like for you? Um, well, the wind gate's only 30 seconds. So it's to kind of just give it your all, kind of go as hard as you can. And then the VO2, I've never done that. And I got claustrophobia. So as soon as I put that mask on my face, I was kind of, I was like, oh, God. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. Just going, going as hard as you can for 12 minutes is pretty tough there. Uh, yeah, I can relate to that. I did the VO2 test once on a treadmill and uh, the whole staying upright on the treadmill as well as the mask and they were taking my blood off my finger at this like at intervals as well did they do that with you take blood no they didn't do that no okay well consider yourself lucky <laughs> it was uh it was intense um now you did well in some of the other tests as well like the agility and the jumping were those things that you were specifically training for or is that just um you know sort of results that have come out of the training that you've been doing all season i think it's just all season training i mean i don't really don't really focus on one thing too much. I kind of just go with the flow and kind of mix in everything. So I think it's just, uh, I don't know, natural, I guess you could say. Um, and I guess when I, I think of things like the jumping and the force that's involved, I'm wondering how much that sort of connects to everything we've been hearing about what a, what a great skater you are. Um, do you think that explosiveness sort of transfers across from your skating to testing like that? I think it, I think it does, yeah. I think it's huge. I mean... I feel like there's a lot of things that go into going to skating, not just your stride and all that. I feel like there's there's a lot more to it. Now, um, a big part of the combine is the opportunity to meet with teams and uh, GMs uh, throughout. So, can you take us a little bit um, behind the curtain and talk about what those conversations are like, and you know how many teams or what teams you may have met with uh, during the week? Yeah, so it's just like a it's pretty much just a questionnaire. Just kind of see where you are as a person and ask you about like what you need to work on all that kind of stuff. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's nice. I never got any weird questions. I mean, you hear, hear all the stories of guys getting, getting all those weird questions, but I never got any. And then, uh, yeah, I met with 28 teams. So that was kind of, kind of what I did. And yeah, you said, you know, there weren't any weird questions, but were there any questions that maybe threw you off guard or took you a couple seconds to, uh, think of an answer? Yeah. One of the teams asked me, uh, what animal I thought I was. <laughs> And uh, what was the answer? I said a kangaroo, tough and 
tough and quick, as I said. <laughs> and explosive on the jumping. Exactly. <laughs> it all ties together. Was there anybody in those rooms that you were especially nervous or exciting about meeting? I mean, those are some pretty legendary guys that are conducting those interviews. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, every team, every team, you know how big they are. They got their biggest, biggest group in there they can. I mean, I met Kyle Dewis, all those kind of guys. So, I mean, it's pretty cool to get to see those guys on TV and now you're meeting them face to face. Yeah. Um, now, as a, uh, a kid from McBride, BC, you've been uh, part of a pretty extraordinary group of players from British Columbia as part of this this year's draft class. Names like Connor Bedard, Zach Benson, Andrew Crystal, Lucas Dragasevic, and Matthew Wood. Um, what do you think? What's what's in the water here in British Columbia? Why 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 has this group sort of come together and turned out to be so special this year? Um, I think it's just the way everyone works. Every guy has the same work work ethic. I think. I think. All of us push each other. I mean, we have since spring hockey. Me and Benson, Bedard, and Chris all were on that one one spring hockey team. We used to go to the finals every time, and they they beat the wheels off of us. So I think that's kind of kind of where it comes from. Um, and I would think too, as a defenseman playing against a lot of those guys, has that sort of necessitated that that you have had to sort of raise your game that much in order to contain those 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 shifty forwards? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've been trying trying to take them on since I was about 12 years old. Now, um, the BC Junior Canucks team back in uh, 2015 at that brick tournament, that's become kind of famous because of uh, heading into this draft. So can you take us a little bit uh, back and maybe share some memories from that uh, experience? Yeah, I mean, I don't remember too much. It was a long time ago, but yeah, our team was, we had a sick team. We had like Wood, Bedard, Cristal, all those guys. And then I think... Uh, I think we lost in the semis. I, I forget who it was, too. I think I want to say Toronto, but, yeah, it was a great experience. I mean, playing in that uh, mall, all those people watching you, they got the sun making it a pool out there, so that's pretty cool. That seems like a great uh, great summer trip for kids at that age. Um, when I talked to, uh, to Bedard for the draft preview article of our Hockey News magazine, um, he talked a little bit about that tournament. He said he thinks the first time that he played with you was at a tournament in Toronto, which maybe would have been even before the brick tournament. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was the first time I went and played with them. Um, and what do you remember about that tournament? I remember coming in, I was like, okay, this, I've heard a lot about this guy. And then he came out and I think he had like six goals or something. I was like, oh, okay, this guy's, this guy's a real deal. I mean, he's been the, been the guy since about 10 years old. So, I mean, I don't know, he's a special player. Uh, and you got to see a lot of him in this year's playoffs in that first round series between Saskatoon and, uh, and Regina. He sounded like he was still a little bit sour about coming out on the uh, on the, the, the down end of that. But uh, what was that like from your point of view, trying to, uh, you know, get back from that 0-2 deficit and then uh, and then take down Regina? Yeah, no, I don't, don't think we thought we were going to come in and play the team they came out to be. I mean, that guy came out put, I think it was 20, 27 or something crazy. I mean, he lit it up and I think uh, – yeah, no one, was, no one was expecting that. I think we were kind of coming in and thinking, okay, we, we worked them in regular season and they came in playoffs and they, they raised their game and they made it hard on us. Now, after you guys did beat uh, Regina, you pulled the reverse sweep against Red Deer and, you know, one of your former teammates in Matteo uh, uh, Fabrizi to reach the Eastern Conference Finals. So can you take us through what that experience was like uh, going down from 3-0 to winning the series? 
Yeah, I was kind of, I don't know, it was almost heartbreaking there when we were down 3-0. I mean, it's never want to be down down 3-0. I mean, it's not not good, not a good looking stat, but I think uh, I don't know. We still had confidence. We knew we could. We knew we could come back. I mean, the coaches all had all had uh, unreal energy. I mean, they were all telling stories to get the get the vibe up in the room. I think I think that was huge, just to keep everyone even keel. Like I should say. I mean, that was probably the biggest thing. And now. You know, your season's done. You're one week away from the draft. Has kind of everything that you, everything sunk in, you know, all of this work that you put in and that you're going to be hearing your name called in a week? No, I don't think so. Not yet. <laughs> uh, I, I saw that the uh, the Blades had put up a, a profile of you on the website today uh, with a lot of uh, quotes from your mom. And she was talking a lot about the the dedication that you put in this year, especially with your with your training and your nutrition and things like that, do you do you feel like you took a, a big step forward in those areas this season? And sort of, what are your your tricks of the trade, the go tos that are working for you now? I think I took a big step. I think at the start of the year, I was still a little kid, I guess you could say. I was still learning the way of the rope, and I think uh, at the end there, I started to do all those little things. I think I think my game kind of took off from there there in the playoffs, and yeah, I think it's just eating your little things, not having. Not having your Timmy's, your McDonald's, all that kind of stuff, and just, I don't know, sticking to the red meats and your veggies, all that kind of stuff. Uh, well, that's great. Um, who do you have going to Nashville with you for the draft? <laughs> um, so I got my mom, my sister, my dad, and I got there's like 20 other people, like my aunts, and then there's friends coming too. Fantastic. And uh, I assume you've got your suit all picked out for the big day? Yeah, all ready to go. Uh, and any uh, any previews, any uh, any in in secrets you can give us before we see it on draft day? Ah, uh, nothing crazy. I mean, it's light light green, like a light light green, so it's kind of kind of out of the blue, but it looks I think it looks pretty good. Uh, nice. So that sounds like it'll uh, it'll it'll stand out. Looking forward to seeing you up on stage there, and uh, and uh, yeah, get doffing the jacket, I guess, as they hand you the jersey, and we find out. Uh, which team you're going to be affiliated with. It, sh it should be a, a really uh, exciting experience to watch and probably a much more exciting experience to uh, to go through. And it'll be cool to have all your, uh, your your BC Spring Hockey buddies there with you as well. So thanks a lot, Tanner, for doing this. And, uh, and good luck next week at the draft. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Well, thanks again to Tanner Mullendike from the Saskatoon Blades for joining us today. Uh, we will be talking about him a little bit more when we get into the uh, draft eligible defenseman portion of our show. Um, but first off, we're going to start off with headlines because there was huge news in the WHL this week with a, uh, a franchise re relocation uh, and the announcement that the Winnipeg Ice will be moving uh, west to Wenatchee, Washington. Yes, yeah, so um, Winnipeg will be moving to Wenatchee and replacing the BCHL team that was previously there. Uh, this is a great move for the organization as they move from a 1,600-seat uh, arena to one that can seat 4,300. It also shows that the WHL believes in the U.S. market and that it's strong enough to support a sixth team. So they will now have five teams in Washington State and then one in Oregon, which is the Portland Winterhawks. So yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a big positive for the uh, WHL for this move to go through. Yeah, the team will still be known as the Wenatchee Wild, which is the name of the BCHL team, um, which is going 
dormant, basically. Um, and as you said, it certainly contributes to Washington's growing status as an important hockey market. Um, Wenatchee is about two and a half hours from Seattle in the central part of the state. It's not far from the Gorge Amphitheater, if you've ever been to an outdoor concert there or seen any of the highlights. There was a big Joni Mitchell event that happened there a couple of weeks ago that was a big deal. Um, from Wenatchee, it's a couple hours drive south to Tri-Cities and about three hours east to get to Spokane. Um, before this, the Wilds were the only BCHL team in the U.S., and the closest geographic rival was Penticton, which was a good sort of four-ish hours away. So um, it will be a much easier commute for this WHL group of Wenatchee players than it was for the BCHL gang. Yeah, and on the way, you can uh, pop by uh, Leavenworth, uh, Washington, and, you know, if it lines up well, they have a pretty famous uh, Oktoberfest. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, if the... Uh, if the games line up, that could be an interesting uh, weekend, definitely for sure. Uh, <laughs> and then, what? so while as we look at the new WHL alignment, now we have 11 teams in both conferences, uh, as Wenatchee will be joining the U.S. Division and the Western Conference. And then when we look at the BCHL players who were on the Wild last season, um, it has come out that they're going to be free agents. So we'll see what the BCHL does if, they help these players get new contracts with other teams or what's going to be the next step. But they're, but that's important to note that there's all these players now, all these junior players who thought that they had a place next season who now will have to make other arrangements. Yeah. There's some talk that there might eventually be a new um, BCHL franchise in the U S but uh, that hasn't come to pass yet. And it sounds like they're planning on going ahead this season with one fewer team. So as you said, that's uh, that's 20 fewer spots for, uh, for, for players. And so it'll be interesting to see what the trickle down effect is from that. Okay. Moving on. we got tons to do today. So uh, we can't go past one more week without uh, another award for Connor Bedard though. Um, uh, on Monday, he was named the first ever male player of the year by the International Ice Hockey Federation, uh, taking home just over 30% of the vote. Yeah. So Connor Bedard just, he, he hasn't even made the NHL and his trophy case is already full. Um, as for the other players that, Receive votes. So Canucks goaltending prospect Arthur Silovs of Latvia finished second, uh, and veteran Swiss forward Andres Ambul uh, was third. Each received just under 20% of the vote. Um, an interesting little note or quote from the article when they announced that Bedard won, and that is that the IHF called perhaps the greatest single world junior championship tournament in double IHF history when he had 23 points and became just the fourth player ever to lead the event in goals, assists, and points. And uh, we've been having this conversation, you know, for months, but maybe this finally kind of solves the debate that this is the greatest junior hockey season by a CHL player of all time. Um, it's mind-blowing just to think about that because I feel like I've been – Aiming not to be surprised by what Bedard can do all season, and yet there continue to be moments like this where he continues to surprise me, both in terms of um, his on-ice achievements and on the accolades that he's getting as well. Um, it's uh, it's pretty incredible. And, and my recollection was that at the end of World Juniors, we were still talking about him as maybe the best draft eligible player ever um, at a at a U20 tournament playing, you know, up to two years up. And now the fact that the IHF historians have kind of gone through the books and are saying that this might be the best World Juniors performance of all time is 
absolutely mind blowing. And and I still have to think it's probably going to be his last World Juniors appearance because uh, chances are his NHL team is not going to be super keen to release him next year. But uh, I guess we'll see how that uh, how that all shakes down. Uh, as you say, we're only uh, what uh, eight days away now from officially seeing where he lands in the NHL and watching that journey get started. So, should be a ton of fun to uh, watch everything go down in uh, in Nashville next week. Um, and speaking of the NHL, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights have been crowned the Stanley Cup champions since we uh, spoke last on last week's podcast, and uh, they have a massive WHL influence, according to. Uh, the article that came out on the WHL website, um, 24 alumni from the players, staff, and management were part of the uh, of the WHL at some point before uh, joining on with the Golden Knights. Yeah, um, great opportunity or great opportunity for the WHL to basically promote itself as this like championship creator league. Absolutely. So the Brandon Wee Kings, uh, unsurprisingly, are the uh, leading the way here. They had. Uh, so not only did they have Kelly McCrimmon, who was the GM, they had assistant coach Ryan Craig, captain Mark Stone, and then two goaltenders in Logan Thompson and uh, Yuri Patera, uh, all part of this uh, cup winning team. Yeah, and it didn't occur to me at the time, but uh, at the CHL Awards, we didn't have Kelly McCrimmon on hand to accept his uh, WHL Governor's Award. Um, because he was in the middle of winning a Stanley Cup. Um, so a, a very good excuse. I'm sure they were fine with uh, with giving him his absentee uh, uh, paper so that he could continue on with the with the Golden Knights. But I wonder if things had been different if he would have been there at the, uh, at the CHL Awards and uh, uh, given a speech and an interview opportunity as well. Um, we'll burn through some of the other names of, uh, of the dub players that uh, that were part of the Golden Knights organization. Um, from the Edmonton Oil Kings, we had Laurent Borsois and Dyson Mayo, Caden Korzak from the Kelowna Rockets, Braden McNabb from the Kootenai Ice, and Brett Howden from the Moostraw Warriors. Uh, we also had Aiden Hill, um, the surprise star of the Stanley Cup final, Portland Winterhawk alumni, uh, Braden uh, Pakal from the uh, Prince Albert Raiders, Brian Frost from Red Deer, Chandler Stevenson from the Regina Pats and the Seattle Thunderbirds had two alumni in uh, Keegan Colzer and Shea Theodore. Yeah. And then and there were also a slew of scouts and other player, player personnel staffers. And uh, as a note, the Florida Panthers also had five WHL players on their roster. Um, most notably Sam Reinhart from West Vancouver who played with the Kootenai Ice. Um, and as you're saying, um, Kelly McCrimmon's penchant for digging in the, uh, WHL bucket when filling out his roster makes me wonder what we're going to see going forward in terms of the NHL's reputation as a copycat league. Um, on top of the fact that the WHL is uh, birthing out a very good draft class this year, it seems like um, maybe there will be a little bit more of attention, attention paid to players coming from this part of the country um, yeah, that are already in the, in the development ranks or in the, uh, in the WH or uh, in the NHL going forward. So it'll be interesting to see how that all goes. Um, another place for WHL players to shine next week will be at the NHL awards that's taking place next Monday um in uh, in nashville as well all part of the big draft week festivities and uh, there are four whl alumni who are up for awards yeah i like this idea where you have the draft in the same place as the nhl awards and it's all together it, it just makes sense um so some of the players that are or the players and management 
that are nominated for awards are uh, Lethbridge Hurricanes uh, goaltender Stuart Skinner, who will be up for the Calder, uh, Moose Warriors forward Braden uh, Point, who will be up for the Lady Bing, um, Lethbridge Broncos 1977-79 when they were part of the WCHL. Uh, that's Lindy Ruff, who will be on part of the Jack Adams, and uh, Jim Neal, who will be up for general manager of the year, and he was in Medicine Hat during those WCHL years as well. Yeah, in the mid-70s. Um, so as a PHWA member, I did get to vote for our awards, um, so for the Calder and the Lady Bing, but not for the Coach or Management Awards. Those come from other sources. Um, so I'm sworn to secrecy for like six more days on, uh, on who I voted for. Uh, but at this point, I don't feel too afraid to tell you that both Skinner and Point were on my ballot for those various categories. Um, and I had to really wrestle with the Braden Point one because he did have a fight which of course is kind of contrary to the Lady Bing theory. He has seven penalty minutes, was one minor penalty and one fight. But I went back and I watched the video and he was totally goaded into it. So I don't feel like it was his fault that he got that major at all. So I'm comfortable with my decision and we'll see whether or not Point takes on the hardware next Monday. Uh, next up uh, into our draft, or draft profiles for the, uh, for the draft next week from the WHL. As mentioned, we're doing defensemen this week. And uh, so we've, you've got about five that we're going to spotlight, including Tanner Molendyke. But uh, Adam, start us off with Lucas Dragasevic from the Tri-City Americans. Yeah, so Lucas Dragasevic, right-handed defenseman from Tri-City, uh, 18th among North American skaters. So we did see a drop from the midterm. Uh, he was at 12, so uh, sixth place uh, drop on the final rankings. Uh, led Tri-City in scoring with uh, 75 points in 68 games, which is, uh, I'd say, pretty good for a defenseman. Uh, he was named to the U.S. Division's first all-star team, and he helped Canada uh, capture bronze at the U18s. So when we look at what type of player Dragasevic is, he's arguably one of the best offensive defensemen available in this draft. That's where he really thrives. Um, at this point, one area that he does need to improve is the skating, uh, that's going to be really the difference between if he makes the NHL or not. So that's something to monitor over the next uh, year or so. Um, when we're looking at a timeline, it probably around that five-year range. Um, he's a little bit uh, high on the draft rankings, and I think that's because he produces so much offense. But there are concerns about his defensive play and skating. So um, for me, when I look at the draft rankings, there maybe are a couple of defensemen I would have higher. But he, I think that it's good because he's going to be in that second round. He'll be in the second round. There are teams that are t potentially looking at him in the first round. So we'll see if he is the uh, first North American defenseman uh, taken in the draft. Yeah. Dragosevic's assets obviously are the fact that he's a right shot defenseman and the fact that he has good NHL size at six foot two already. Um, and uh, as you say, the fact that he puts up a gajillion points is something that scouts tend to notice um, and can usually find a way to work a guy who can do that into their lineups, even if there are some other deficiencies in his play. Um, that being said, I have heard lots of warning calls about, uh, about his defensive play and the fact that he um, sometimes seems to sort of lose focus defensively and maybe isn't as, uh, as, as engaged in the play as, as perhaps he could be. So um, as you say, he's not as uh not as shiny of a toy as he was midway through but i feel like a lot of that is just because some of these um less heralded european defensemen have gotten a lot more attention in the second half of the season 
And so it's as much about having defensemen slot in for teams who need them, which is kind of bumping him down on the on the lists as I think it is about anything else. So he certainly is a, a, a tempting prospect too. So uh, we'll see what happens. Um, now let's touch touch again on uh, on Molendyk and his uh, his qualities and characteristics. Yeah. So left-handed defenseman Tanner Molendyk. Um, Finished the year 28th, which was a jump up from 36 at the midterm uh, rank. Um, as we talked about, best attribute is his skating. He is one of the best skaters available, defenseman or forward in this draft. Um, the area of improvement is that this year he really focused on his defensive game. And that was a point that Saskatoon talked about multiple times during the year, the coaching staff. So it's he, we know that he can defend now. So what is that a can he provide additional offense? That's kind of something that we'll watch as he is going to be Saskatoon's number one defenseman next season. Um, NHL timeline is going to be four to five years because of how strong he is defensively, how good he is at moving the puck and his skating. So when a player is that good of a skater and can transition the puck well, they generally have a shorter time frame uh, to making the NHL. Uh, his rating is a little bit too low, I think. Uh, he's arguably the best defenseman available in my mind he's the best defenseman available in the whl but this forward group is just so stacked that like all these that all these defensemen are you know in dropping down the rankings because of what these forwards are able to do this year um and you know i've seen mock drafts where he goes in the first round uh i would say that he's a second round pick but uh i know that there's a lot of scouts that like him that's the word you know he's yeah he's just a he's all around good player and I wouldn't be surprised if he goes in the first round yeah and listening to what he's saying about his discipline and his uh, sort of attention to his craft at this stage um, I think has got to be music to the ears of the scouts and the 28 teams that interviewed him at the combine so um, you know it's nice to hear that even though he's a guy who doesn't necessarily have the flashiest numbers that he is getting attention um, his uh, WHL rival Braden Yeager actually went out of his way to name Molendyke as a teammate that he's had that people should watch when he was interviewed at the combine and that was just from playing with him for a couple of weeks at the Helenka Gretzky tournament last summer um, he talked about Mullendyke skating and also his first pass. So um, he would have seen him plenty as an opponent at the at the WHL level this year. And I'm sure, as you said, Saskatoon was uh, basically the best defensive team in the league and Mullendyke sort of led the charge on that. So um, he's, he'd be a, a good uh, a good addition to a lot of NHL lineups for sure. Um, now, another guy who's a little more under the radar from the Portland Winterhawks is Luca Cagnoni. Yes, yeah, so Kenyoni, uh, 35th on NHL Central Scouting's final list. Uh, he did drop one position from 34th, so that's not really a big deal in the end. Um, he His story is pretty incredible because he went undrafted in the WHO Bantam draft, and he has developed into Portland's number one defenseman and potentially the first WHO defenseman off the board. There are people who really like his game. Um, he had... 64 points, which ranked third among draft eligible defensemen this past season, which is uh, pretty amazing when you consider he went undrafted in the Bantam draft. Uh, best attribute is his play in the offensive zone where he slows down the game and creates opportunities for his teammates. But the biggest question mark around him is his size. Uh, five foot nine, 183 pounds. There are going to be teams that think he's too small to be effective as a defender at the NHL level, which... Uh, as we know, 
is not generally the case. Uh, even though defenders are small, they can still play at the NHL level. Um, an NHL timeline would be in that four to five year range where he starts getting his opportunities. Uh, a little bit low in the ranking, but like I said, the forward group is just so strong this year that everybody, there, there seems to be a lot of players who are slipping because of how strong this uh, this group is. And um, a second round, maybe third round pick uh, would be where I uh, place him in the uh, draft projection. I got the sense when talking to Canyoni at the uh, at the top prospects game that if he came in even in the third round he would be pleased as punch about an outcome like that given the work that that he has done over the last few years um, he really gave a lot of credit to the Winterhawk system for giving him a chance and developing him and letting him get the opportunities that have allowed him to bring his game up to this level um, and uh, you know so he very much appreciates where is he where he's at and i think that his um sort of commitment and work ethic is is going to be a pleasure for whichever and nhl team ends up drafting him um in that same story from the score that uh that Braden Yeager was uh, was complimenting Molendike. Kenyoni cited um, Quinn Hughes and Jared Spurgeon as players that he likes to watch in the NHL and model, model his game after. So that gives you an idea of the kind of player he is. He's not uh, he's not delusional about where he fits in the size spectrum, despite the fact that Vegas's big tough defense is sort of the uh, uh, flavor of the month right now um, but uh, you know if he can uh, continue to emulate guys like Hughes and Spurgeon I think that uh, Kenyoni is going to be just fine um, even deeper on the sleeper rankings uh, you've ID'd uh, Kalen Parker from Victoria yeah so uh, Parker is a right shot defenseman uh, he finished the season ranked 93rd which was a jump up from 113th um, in my mind, this is the perfect example of a player that flies under the radar because of the team he played for. He became Victoria's number one defenseman this year and really stepped up in every single role that they threw at him, whether it was penalty kill, power play, or at five on five. And he was named uh, Victoria's top defenseman uh, during their team awards at the end of the season. So his best uh, attribute is his ability to jump up to the rush and actually lead the transition game. Um, while his area of improvement would be just kind of that little extra work in the defensive zone. So instead of, you know, using your body, you're using your stick to knock the puck off or reading the play a little bit with your stick work. So if he can work on that aspect of his game, which is going to come with time, that's gonna, he's going to be, I think, a steal uh, late in the draft. Um, NHL timeline would be a sixth or seventh round. Um, when we're looking at the rankings, I think it's fair all things considered, but because we don't really know what he looks like on a team that's been productive because Victoria has missed the playoffs the last two seasons. So I'm interested to see what he can do on a team that can produce, that can make the playoffs. And hopefully for Victoria's sake, that happens uh, this season. Uh, and then when we're looking at kind of where he might fall in the draft, fourth or fifth round seems about right, um, considering he's had a rise in the draft rankings this year. All right, and then uh, a player that uh, that you wanted to talk about who slipped quite significantly in the central scouting rankings from midterms to the end was uh, Mazden Leslie from the Vancouver Giants. Yeah, so Mazden Leslie is a right shot defenseman. He was 80th on the midterm rankings and dropped to 125th. Um, he was given more responsibility as the season progressed, so a little bit more time on the penalty kill. Uh, did set a career high with 50 points in 66 games, and, you know, 
we I, I I watched Mazden all season. So there was definitely some development on the defensive side, some development on the offensive side from where he started to where he ended. So that's always a positive when we're looking at defensemen. His best attribute is his willingness to activate from the point in the offensive zone. So he's not a player that's just going to walk the line. He's a player that's going to come down the boards. He's going to be behind the net on occasion, and he's going to utilize the whole offensive zone. But he does still need to work on his defensive game, his physicality, things like that. There are times where he gets lost kind of in the play, but this is common with junior players where – sometimes the speed of the defensive game is just a little bit too quick and they have to continue to develop that. So going into next year where he knows he's going to be the number one defenseman, that's going to be something uh, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on. Um, I understand why he dropped in the rankings uh, based off of watching his play and based off of how kind of everybody shifted. So there was a lot of focus on the WHL at the beginning of the season and then everybody kind of caught up which is why I think also he dropped a little bit. Uh, He's one of these players that's six or seven years away from the draft, and we're kind of looking at a six-round option uh, at the draft floor. All right. And then for our final segment this week, we've got the uh, Washington Capitals, team number 32 of our NHL 32 teams. So this will wrap up the uh, NHL teams of the week. So uh, what do we have for uh, Western League representation on the Caps? So we had three drafted players in the WHL this uh, season. We'll start with uh, right or winger, 19-year-old Alexander Sudolev, who was a third-round pick in 2022 and uh, made the move to Regina from Sweden. Uh, playing next to Bedard, he put up 86 points in 66 games. And he also played with uh, Connor in Sweden on HV71 at the U18 and U20 teams uh, during that 2020-21 season. Uh, was named to the CHL's all-rookie team after leading the WHL in points by a rookie. Uh, while he can return to the WHL, the general perception is this was a one-and-done and that he'll be at the AHL level next season. Yeah, because he uh, he only turned 19 in March, but he is AHL eligible because he was drafted out of Sweden, so he's not bound by those rules that uh, keep uh, players drafted out of the CHL in the league until they turn 20. Yeah, so jumping over to the uh, Western Conference, we have 21-year-old center Ryan Hofer, uh, six-rounder in 2022 as well. And he was part of that massive Kamloops and Everett uh, deal that sent Olin Zellweger to the Blazers. Over a point-per-game player during the regular season and playoffs for Kamloops, was one of the best players for the Blazers uh, during their Memorial Cup run with five points in four games. And he already has signed his ELC on March 1st and will be in the AHL next season as he has already aged out. Um, yeah, I I was really impressed with Hofer. I thought he was kind of a throw-in on the Zellweger trade, but he really carved out an important spot for himself in the Kamloops lineup through the second half of the regular season. And then, as you said, all the way through um, the playoffs and through the Memorial Cup. So, you know, he's got great size at 6'3", and they've got a brand-new NHL coach in Washington and Spencer Carberry who might be a little more inclined to uh, take a longer look at prospects. So it seems like that could be a good spot for him. Yes. Um, We also have uh, Drew Krebs, who was uh, in the sixth round of the 2021 draft. Uh, Medicine Hat Tigers defenseman. Washington has given up his rights. Um, So one more year of WHL eligibility. So because he isn't signed, he should be back in the WHL, whether that's with Medicine Hat or another team that will be uh, determined closer to the season. Um, Expected to have a big year and will be one of these players to watch. 
near the end of next season, if whether or not a team jumps on the opportunity to give him a contract. All right. And then do you want to just burn quickly through some of the other uh, WHL connections uh, with the Capitals? Yeah. So let's jump to the uh, NHL quickly here. Uh, the big name is Darcy Kemper, former uh, 2011 WHO MVP and CHO goaltender of the year from the Red Deer Rebels. Uh, posted 22 wins and five shutouts in his uh, first season with the Capitals. And he's going to be a massive part of their team for the next couple of years uh, as they look to make the playoffs for after they missed it for the first time since the 2013-14 season this year. Other players include Prince Albert Raider forward uh, Alexei Protas, Red Deer Rebels defenseman Alexander Alexave, uh, Calgary Hitman forward Beck Mellon, Melliston, uh, Brandon Wheatkings defenseman Vincent Iorio, and Moose Jaw Warriors defenseman uh, Dylan McEnroth. Uh, and then <laughs> 11 players on that uh, Hershey Bears team that is in the Calder Cup final at the moment. Uh, so the list includes uh, Garrett Pilon, who was from the Kansas Blazers, Seattle Thunderbirds forward Henrik uh, Rybinski, Medicine Hat forward uh, Kale Casey, and one of the many Sutters in the hockey world, Riley Sutter, uh, who played for the Everett Silvertips. Yeah, big moment for uh, for Garrett Pilon when he scored the uh, overtime winner in the one nothing game five for Hershey, which put the Bears up 3-2 and sent the series back to uh, Coachella Valley. But uh, the Firebirds did come up big in game six, so we've got a Calder Cup game seven on Wednesday night, which will be basically the last hockey game of the season before we uh, finally take a break through draft time, free agency development camps. And then uh, next thing we know, it'll be August and the Linka Gretzky will be getting going with the next group of draft eligible players for us to, uh, to start observing. So uh, that takes us through the end of this podcast to the end of the hockey season. Uh, the end of this month just about and uh, we're getting we're getting close to uh, last call all the way around so thanks again for listening today thanks for listening all season we will be back next week to uh, do one more preview of the draft with the forwards and then we'll have a uh, a wrap-up after the draft as well before we uh, say so long for summer Uh, really appreciate you listening if you haven't done so already make sure, sure you subscribe on THN on the dub brought to you by BetMGM on your favorite podcast platform and to check out past episodes of the show and all the others in the hockey news podcast family, go to the hockey slash podcast. Have a great week and we will talk to you soon.